As I'd expected, life at the academy was different than life as a Swan River local. So different that I sometimes almost forgot to worry about becoming a wild girl. But at the beginning of my senior year, something happened that made me question whether Mrs. Lemons could be trusted to predict the future. Until then, I'd expected my last year to be relatively uneventful. I didn't love the academy like I'd thought I would, but I didn't hate it the way I'd hated public school. I had a single room overlooking the river from the top floor of Fallis Hall. I had friends, though they were not Willow's friends, not the popular girls who went skiing together over the holidays and hired drivers to whisk them off to the Grand Hotel in Moorfield on the weekends. I got mostly A's, and one of my favorite things to do was to pull out the folder of college brochures that I kept in my desk drawer and leaf through them when I should have been studying. In one, a smiling couple in fair aisle sweaters bent their heads together across a library carol. In another, a group of friends gathered on a winter bare lawn, staring up at the frisbee that rotated above them like a planet. Pritchard College in Tanner, Minnesota, was my favorite, because they had the best-looking boys. Soulful, long-haired guitar players with gentle eyes. I knew my mom couldn't afford any of those schools unless I got a full scholarship, but I couldn't stop myself from dreaming about Vermont, Minnesota, Michigan, those cold, spare climates, all black and white, with no shadowy spaces in between. That August, Swan River was the opposite of Minnesota, hot and swampy, threatened by a growling thunderstorm that stayed just over the crest of the mountains. On the night of the 20th, I was awakened by the scream of sirens, and I imagined that the fire at a backyard cookout had gotten out of hand. But in the morning, I could see smoke hanging over Bloodwort Road, and its bitter taste was in my mouth when I brushed my teeth. By noon, everyone knew what had happened, but the story would be told in two different ways. There was the official story, the one reported by Sheriff McClellan and the newspaper, and then there was the real story, the one that all the locals knew to read between the lines. The story agreed that a man named Rondell Clark, whom Maggie and I had called the Birdman, had been found in the ruins of Bloodwort Farm, his body so bloodied and burned that no one thought he could live. A fire had raged through the cabins, and in one of them the firefighters found the remains of crystal lemons. The Birdman and the Lemons family were the only people left of the commune by then, the other members having left in a slow exodus as Mrs. Lemon's behavior became stranger and more erratic, the birdman took over more responsibility, and the farm failed. This is where the stories began to diverge. The sheriff claimed that the birdman had been attacked by wild animals, though he was vague about what kind of animals they could have been, coyote, or bear, or possibly one of the catamounts that had been sneaking back into the region for the past few years. They wouldn't know for sure until they got the lab tests back. He never even tried to explain how a bear, coyote, or catamount had managed to start a fire that would send up flames that could be seen all the way from downtown. Travis spent the day after the fire at the commune, and at home that evening he hunched over a bowl of soup and a beer, gray-faced and exhausted. He wouldn't talk to me about what he'd seen, but that night I heard him and Mom whispering, giving voice to the local certainty that the coyotes and catamounts had been unfairly blamed. We all knew that the sheriff's lab tests would come back inconclusive, if they came back at all. No experts would ever examine the birdman, 
and whatever he remembered about that night, he wasn't talking. Except for Crystal's family, the people who were most upset by what happened at the commune were probably the academy parents. August 21st was the day of convocation, when the moms and dads piled into the outdoor amphitheater to hear Dr. Bell talk about the academy's illustrious past and bright future. Walking around campus that afternoon, I saw a handful of dads frowning down at the paper. They didn't know how to read between the lines of the riparian's coverage. They didn't believe in supernatural possession. And if their daughters had repeated the local stories, they would have replied with some smug commonplace, citing the rich tradition of Appalachian folklore. Still, it was plain to see that the gruesome details of the birdman's mauling had them spooked. How could they be sure that coyotes weren't slinking around campus in the middle of the night, blending into the tree-thickened shadows?